Good afternoon or good morning or good evening to the first Japanese language teachers of Australia podcast. And hopefully this is the first of many. And we have Andy Kretzer, who is probably well known to a lot of people in a Japanese education in Australia. So I thought this will be a very appropriate guest to have as a first guest. Uh, so, Han-sensei, konnichiwa. Konnichiwa, and thank you very much for having me as your first guest. I feel very honoured. Okay, so we'll get started with if you could tell us about yourself very briefly. Sure. So, um, I, I uh, am the, the, at the minute, the director of the Monash Japanese Language Education Centre. Uh, which is housed at Monash University in Victoria, but actually um, mainly funded through uh, the Nippon Foundation in Japan. Um, and I originally um, was, a, well, I am a qualified um, Japanese secondary teacher. Okay, great. Well, obviously started off as a just Japanese language teacher where no one knew, and even though you were very, I guess, well-known. How did your teaching career start? Yeah, so actually I started teaching um, in the 1980s, very early 1980s. And at that time, um, there were not a lot of jobs around. Um, so it was a little bit tricky uh, to get a job. Um, but um, luckily, I applied to every school that taught Japanese and my other method is English, hoping to get a job. Um, whether it was teaching English or Japanese, and then hopefully that would springboard into teaching Japanese, and that's exactly what happened. So um, I was lucky enough to get a job at a government school um, and mainly as an English teacher, but within a year or two I was mainly teaching Japanese and continued Japanese teaching Japanese for about seven or eight years. Okay, so and how did you come across your current job? I'm assuming that's what you've been doing uh, ever since you left the classroom? Yes, so probably nearly. So I left the classroom and took family leave um, and I had two children. And while I was on family leave, I was lucky enough to be offered a job as a tutor at both Monash and Melbourne universities, um, teaching the pre-service teachers how to teach Japanese. Um, and that was a great job and I really loved it and I really enjoyed interacting with the pre-service teachers. Um, and while I was at Monash Uni doing that, um, I was approached to take on the role that I have now, which is the director of the uh, Monash Japanese Language Education Centre, which was being newly formed. So Monash was lucky enough to receive an endowment from the Nippon Foundation to start this um, centre. And uh, yeah, I was approached to apply for the job and luckily I got it. Okay, great. So obviously you've been involved in or you've been overseeing the and the Japanese language education for the last well, nearly 40 years or so, which is a very, <laughs> very long time. But how, in your opinion, how do you think the Japanese um, language education in Australia or in mainly in Victoria changed over time? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting thing and I've thought a lot about this over the time. When I first started teaching, I think there were only about 30 of us as teachers. Um, so everyone knew everyone um, and we were a very close-knit um, collaborative group. And interestingly, even though I think, of course, the numbers have have you know, just grown and grown and grown over those years, um, that is the essence of that has still continued. So, you know, Japanese teachers are still very collaborative and work very well together despite the numbers growing over time. So, of course, the explosion of Japanese language education in both Victoria particularly, but Australia more widely, um, has been just incredible. Um, and um, the... I, not, I don't want to just say the professionalism, but the skill, I guess, and the and the, the types of things that teachers do now, I think, is is very very impressive. The other thing that's changed when I first started teaching, there was virtually no um, primary school education um, for languages, and that's changed over time with most. Uh, schools in Victoria, particularly, having a language at the primary level, which I think has been great. Okay, so what do you think is the biggest, um, I guess, influence and um, when it comes to having a primary school as opposed to just having a secondary school? Well, I think that the fact that we have languages at all, not just even Japanese, but languages at all in the primary school, I think is really important for laying the seeds, I guess, the seeds of um, of of wonder and the seeds of interest in other languages and cultures and and the seeds of an awareness that you know other people might think differently and might um, act differently and might approach life in a different way and I think that that's been a really great thing so that it it really encourages students to think um, about the world at large. So I think that that's been a real positive. And I also think that then often students come to secondary with background of either Japanese language education or another language education, which means that they come to secondary with language learning skills that they can apply to whatever language they learn. So, yeah, I think that they really complement one another. And, and you also mentioned how Japanese teachers have always been a very collaborative group of educators, but before the internet um, <laughs> is when you first started teaching, how did Japanese teachers usually communicate and, I guess, collaborate with each other? Yeah, it's it's almost unbelievable to think that we didn't have email, that we yeah that we couldn't um, communicate in that way. I guess, but we, I guess, instead of that, we used to have regular meetings. So we would often get together once a month to share resources, to talk about things, um, and because there were as I said, not many primary school teachers. Most teachers teaching in a secondary school taught with sometimes two or three other Japanese teachers. So, you know, there was support within your own school, but definitely I think that we used to get together more and we used to share more. So there was a lot more face-to-face -face interaction, um, which perhaps indicates that we also had maybe time to do that sort of thing. I mean, I think we were still very busy, but I, I think that, yeah, the challenges that teachers face 
within their own school these days are greater than perhaps they were back when um, I first started teaching. Okay, so in terms of the challenges the teachers have faced, and you've addressed that one, but uh, what's your challenges and you've faced, I guess, personally as a Japanese teacher or in your current position? Well, um, I guess they're very different things. As a teacher, and I don't think it's very different these days, um, there was still, and I taught in a government school where a lot of the parents were very supportive, um, but I guess still, you know, that monocultural, monolingual mindset was um, a challenge when I first started teaching. So we had students who were just passionate about Japanese and just couldn't get enough of it. Um, but we still had students who didn't see the relevance or didn't really understand why they were doing that. And sometimes their parents didn't either. Um, but one of the things I guess I loved when I first started teaching was often students hadn't traveled at all, let alone traveled to Japan. And uh, we, at the school I was at, we had a regular trip to Japan and seeing the, I don't know, the the enlightenment that students got from that trip and and you knew that this was something that would influence them for a very long time was incredibly rewarding, I think. They um, often just didn't get to interact with other um, you know, other cultures in the same way. And of course, we're talking, say, 30 years ago at least. So students didn't travel the way often students do now. So that was incredibly rewarding as well, I guess. So, yeah, I think back then we still had the same issues teachers have now. Uh, in my current job, um, look, I just am incredibly blessed. This job allows me to do as much as I can for teachers and to help teachers. So I guess the only thing that um, I find challenging is um, when I can't help teachers with some of the bureaucracy that uh, surrounds teaching and some of the things that they want to break through. Um, things like, you know, not enough time on task, not enough um, support within their own school or within their own system uh, for languages or Japanese specifically. I guess I'm still um, trying to break down those barriers and that's something that I, I wish we could do more about. Okay, so what are some of the things you have been using or it, I guess the methods you've been using to advocate for language teaching in different schools which may or may not be open to I guess integrating Japanese in a school yeah it's it's very interesting isn't it um recently I mean we've been doing lots of things but I guess I'll start with the most recent thing together well not together really it was Japan Foundation Sydney had this wonderful program that then I went along with um, and on um, was called the um, Japanese Educational Leaders Tour. And so um, we took nearly 60, I think, or more um, principals and some stakeholders to Japan on an advocacy tour. Um, and that was a real eye-opener for me. I tended to think that principals just generally were very um, knowledgeable about their own Japanese language program and very open to it. But 
going on the tour with them and what what it was we spent a week with them taking them to schools in japan taking them to famous places in japan getting them to experience japanese culture um and of course while on that tour and while spending that week with them i would talk to them endlessly about how they could better support the japanese program in their school and it was on that that i realized we have to do more with directly with the principals so i feel like we're always supporting teachers which is vitally important and we want teachers to be well supported and they should be but actually you know we need to work on the principals and, and what i found from that tour amazingly was it wasn't that principals don't want to help they often just don't know how to help and they found that their Japanese teachers, and I think this is part of a cultural thing that even the non-native Japanese teachers have, we just don't ask for what we want. Um, we hope the principal's supportive, but we never actually ask for what we want. And I, I found that a lot of principals said, I assume that everything's going well with the program because I never hear from the Japanese teacher. So I guess I learned we actually have to be more proactive and approach principals more and give them the tools to what do they need to do to support their Japanese teacher and that's the sort of thing that we've been working on since um, then um, and yeah just through another few programs I did I've really learned that when you give principals solutions they're more than happy to support the program I feel like principals deal with problems all day long so when another teacher walks into their office and says, oh, you know, I'm upset about this or, you know, this isn't working for me, you know, the principal, I guess, unconsciously is like, just put it on the problem pile. But if you go to the principal with, this is the issue, here's the solution, they're often more more than happy to act on that if you give them the solution. So I guess that's the thing that we've learned. And when I now work with principals, that's the approach that I take is that actually showing them um, how they can solve the problem that they've got. And there's one other thing that I think is really important, and that is to show them how their own students are being disadvantaged by something they're doing. For example, I worked with a school once who the school decided to cut the hours. And when we actually put in a graph the number of hours they were losing and that over six years so by VCE it meant that the students were a year behind all their neighboring schools and their sort of competing schools the school reversed that decision because they could see how it was going to impact the students so I, I really think it is about showing them the evidence and giving them a solution yeah I guess coming back to or going back to how uh, people don't speak out and mm. a lot of the Japanese native speakers or, you know, native Japanese people are very humble and they don't exactly. upset that harmony and um, they don't want to speak out just in case it upsets the other person and so on and so forth. So I guess, um, yeah, I think you just hit the nail, um, right in the nail. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was true. And it was something that I really realised. And interestingly, on our... Um, on those educational tours, a couple of principals who had native speaker teachers told me they understood. They're like, oh, I get it now. I get my teacher now because they've been in Japan even just for a week and they've experienced that that sort of humble and not 
not pushing oneself forward, you know, that sort of approach. And they suddenly realised, I know why my teacher never asked me for anything. Um, so I think it's something that both sides need to learn a little bit more about. I think we need to try and get into the principal space more, but I think our teachers, as much as that's a beautiful quality of the Japanese culture, and I think native speakers, but I also think many non-native speakers because of their experience in Japan have that too, I think we have to overcome that and try to... Um, in a very positive way, sort of get over that and approach the principal, as I said, with a solution to the issues that they have. And, and yeah, just be a little bit more demanding, but in a, in a very nice way. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you've um, achieved a lot of things. And well, most re recently, you've been um you, you've received the certificate of commendation from the Consulate General of Japan, which I thought was a um, massive achievement. But um, in your opinion, what do you think has been, you know, another bigger, biggest achievement mm. in your career? Yeah, well, thank you for um, <laughs> that. But actually, I feel like that award from the, um, yeah, the foreign ministry, I mean, it was an amazing um, recognition, but I feel like it's recognition of the teacher's hard work. I'm, I'm lucky to be in this position, but really a lot of that hard work is the teacher. So I, I hope that, yeah, that's seen as a, um, uh, a recognition of all, all Japanese language educators. But for me personally, I hope that through the centre, um, one of the, the most important things we have done is the advocacy and raising raising recognition and being a voice for Japanese language education. I've been lucky to be on a lot of, um, you know, curriculum panels and state and national sort of meetings so where we can raise issues for Japanese language education. And I suppose recently, and, and I mean, it's 10 years ago that we started, but the National Symposium, I think it's a great thing that, you know, as I travel, like, so in my job, I get to travel to lots of states and, and look at Japanese language education. And I just really thought everyone is doing such amazing thing. But at that time, there wasn't that much collaboration, I guess, or even conversation between the states in, in any sort of formal way. So the symposium that together with um, Yutaka Nakajima from Japan Foundation at the time, who was the languages manager, we really thought, wow, we need to do something nationally so that people can share all of their amazing things and also stop sort of reinventing the wheel. Like everyone was doing great things in every state, but often we felt gee, you know, if people got together, they could share these ideas and stop sort of all doing the same thing, I guess, in one way. So that was really important. And um, we've also, again, with Japan Foundation, we started doing lots of things together. And um, we have a group called Nagelta. So bringing together the um, the presidents of the national of the JLTAs in every state and territory that we call the um, national associate or the national the network sorry the network of Japanese language teachers associations so the groups called Nagelta and then they get together also to share what they are doing in each of their associations and how they do things and how they get funding and how they use that funding so I think. 
encouraging people across states and territories to band together to support one another, but also to share information. Um, I feel like that's been something that, um, yeah, it's been a great thing for everybody. But also, if, for example, our centre ceases to exist one day, hopefully not, but if that happened, then those groups can keep carrying on and keep sharing that information. Okay, great. Um, well, I guess, um, you know, when you once decide to, you know, retire from your current position, <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a massive job to fill your um, shoes, I think. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of people out there who I hope would be interested in doing that job and would do it, you know, amazingly. And look, to tell you the truth, at the symposium the other day, I just thought, and that's one thing you're asking me what's changed over time. I guess when I first started this job, there was a few people, just a few like me, who would go around from state to state, um, you know, giving talks and, and doing that sort of thing. But now you look at the state conferences that we have and the national symposium. Teachers are amazing, Shingo-san, yourself included, at presenting incredibly to um, to teachers and I really felt wow that's you know and it's a good thing that that people like me are becoming in that role no longer we're just no longer needed because I think teachers themselves have become so good at at presenting and at informing and inspiring um, and educating one another and I think that that's been a fantastic um, development, particularly I would say over the last even 10, 5, 10 years. Um, and they're so good at it and, and their presentations are just such high quality. So um, I, I'm really proud, I guess, that that's developed and that the that teachers, again, like I said in the very beginning, our little group of teachers were very collaborative, but that hasn't changed even though the numbers have grown. Own, and we see that at those conferences. Teachers are so willing to share and educate and help one another. And I just think that's the strength of Japanese language education. And I don't know that all Japanese teachers understand that doesn't always happen in other languages. I think it's truly unique to Japanese. And I think it's something we can all be incredibly proud of. Yeah, I just think it, it's, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. Okay. Um, so in your position, and you're often asked for advice, but what advice would you give to you know, beginning teachers of Japanese language or just uh, people who are you know, thinking of becoming a Japanese teacher but never really had the chance to, I guess, experience um, I guess, opportunity? Yeah, look, what I say to our beginning teachers and our now we have Master of Ed teachers, really encourage them to be networked. And I think that, again, you know, our community is so open and welcoming to our, um, our beginning teachers and our pre-service teachers. But visiting as many schools as they can and, and attending, you know, conferences when they can, um, attending P PL when they can, and offer, we offer PL for free to students um, because I think that actually being networked is the greatest thing that they can do. Teachers in general, I think, can often feel a little bit isolated or once they start teaching, they just feel 
um, they're so busy just trying to, you know, get through every day and do the best that they can that, that it's almost difficult to know where to get networked and what to do. So I really encourage it from the very beginning to get networked, like joining the Facebook group and, and in Victoria the or even elsewhere, the um, Nihongo Victoria email group, attending PL, seeking out PL so that they can actually mix with other teachers and see what's going on because I think that's the most valuable thing that they can do um, and also being brave enough to ask teachers to visit their classroom and see what other teachers are doing. So sometimes, yeah, I feel beginning teachers and just some teachers in general just uh, too shy or they're reluctant to really take on board what other people are doing or even look at what other people are doing so that's the advice that I give to them to be as networked and as open to possible about what else is happening and you know there is so much information out there and sometimes it is information overload but if they are networked, then they know where to find that information. And sometimes that's the biggest hurdle. It's almost like I don't even know where to start. But being networked is the very beginning. And then people will help you to find what you need. So I think that's the best thing. And, you know, today in the day of the internet and all the communication tools that we have, it's very easy to be networked. So I, I think that that's the the best piece of advice I could give any new teacher. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, so we might actually wrap it up, but before uh, I'll let you go, um, what is your favourite Japanese word or phrase? Um, I had a big think about this, but I think for me it's otsukare-sama, uh, otsukare-sama desu, because I think we don't have an equivalent in English. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's very culturally laden, and I love that part of Japanese culture that you know we're all working together and we all contribute and I feel that that's reflected in Japanese language education so I think that's the one for me okay great well thanks very much for your time and thank you for listening thank you very much Ingo sensei and thanks everyone yeah for listening to, to my uh, my views I guess thanks <laughs> it's been great thank you <laughs> thank you